Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's SiriusXM Progress. Thank you, as always, to Dean Obadala and his amazing staff for the wonderful lead-in program. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Progress After Hours. We are at 866-997-4748. We're going to be putting you to bed tonight, processing the long day we all just survived together, and figuring out the best ways to fight back with humor, with nonviolence, with facts, and when necessary, showing uh, right-wing people how apostrophes work, because that's part of the struggle, folks. I'm sorry, if you're going to fight for democracy, if you're going to fight for justice, at some point, you're going you're gonna to have to correct someone and say, no, that there's no apostrophe in when you plural something, I'm saying it's okay. And, and span the word your too. They, and then there, you know what I'm talking about. They're out there. That right wing guy you still talk to on Facebook. That guy. Well, tonight we got a great one. I'm so glad you're with us. Chris Hauselt is producing from South Carolina. Thea Harper is producing from Brooklyn. I come to you from New York and it's Two-Face Tuesday starring North Carolina Representative Trisha Cotham. She ran for office for the legislature as a supporter of abortion rights, and she sponsored a bill to codify Roe v. Wade into law four months ago. And tonight, she just voted to override the governor's veto of the North Carolina abortion ban, banning any abortions after 12 weeks. A woman who ran for office as a Democrat supporting women's reproductive rights, then four months ago, co-sponsored a bill to codify Roe, and then one month ago, flipped a Republican and tonight voted to take that right away from women. Democrats, uh, it's time to start doing better vetting. Sorry, Republicans, you know, they, they had George Santos. Uh, you guys have Trisha Cotham. And let's talk about it this evening. It's Two-Face Tuesday and she's our star. We've got a great lineup tonight. Dr. Tracy Pearson will be with us in hour number three. We're going to be having uh, our good friend Joe Sudbay join us in hour number two to go through everything in the political world. Two of our favorite guests, two of the best talkers in radio will be joining us tonight. There's so much to get to. Today's the birthday of Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall, a good friend of this show. Liberace would have been 104 today, and he'd be appalled that I was telling his actual age. Uh, today's the birthday of Chris Novoselic from Nirvana. He is 58 years young, and Janet Jackson was born in the state in 1966. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. So I want to begin once again. We just introduced her. Trisha Cotham. 
it's Two-Face Tuesday, and today we have really two stars of Two-Face Tuesday. Trisha Cotham, the pride of uh, North Carolina. I know I might be pronouncing her last name incorrectly. And Kevin McCarthy. We'll start with Representative Trisha. Uh, so, as I mentioned, she ran for office as a Democrat supporting women's reproductive freedoms, promised to codify Roe. And guess what? She got elected and she co-sponsored the bill to codify Roe. And then, well, then something happened. Then she became a Republican one month ago. And you know the rest of this story. Uh, <laughs> it's in a stunning move. That through national headlines, she decided to switch parties, and tonight she voted for the second time in favor of a bill that would ban abortion after 12 weeks and will wind up closing clinics. And because she changed parties, this allowed the North Carolina Republican Party, their supermajority, to override their Democratic governor's veto and jam the bill into law. This is going to decimate abortion access throughout the South, because for so many, North Carolina is the same purple state where women can go. These guys are stupid. These guys are trying really hard to get a lot of people to show up and vote for Democrats. Now, the people who helped Trisha Cotham, who campaigned for her, who canvassed for her all over North Carolina. Imagine how furious they are tonight. There's a whole article about it in Yahoo News. I mean, this woman was published in Time magazine for her defense of abortion rights. At one point, she got upset because she didn't win an award from Planned Parenthood. And tonight, my friends, she was the deciding vote in favor of this incredible Republican abortion ban. Is that you, Chris? Uh, that was the bell tolling for her. There we go. Well, I mean, like, you know, think about it. Think about it. You're a young person and you want to get into politics and you think, hey, let me go work for free and have people spit at me and slam doors in my face. But you go door to door for no money or very little money. It's a state level. This is this is state legislature. OK, but you believe in her. <laughs> so you fight. <laughs> and then, of course. This is a woman who said in a speech in 2015, my womb and my uterus is not up for your political grab. She was endorsed by Emily's List. She's given speeches for years about abortion rights. And tonight, tonight, the North Carolina Republican Party has passed their anti-abortion bill that their Democratic governor vetoed. And they've overridden the veto because this woman switched parties and after for years vowing to protect abortion rights, voted for the ban. Governor Cooper vetoed it. And the Republicans couldn't override without her. She is the reason. Poor women will be sentenced to greater poverty. She is the reason rape victims will be forced to carry and bear their attacker's child. She said that she left the Democratic Party because she wants more freedom of thought. So you join the Republican Party, which spreads theories about Hunter Biden's laptop and bans books. Where'd you learn that? Kirsten Cinema Academy? Her office number, by the way, 919-733-5749. Even if you don't live in the state, let her staff know how you feel about Trisha Cotham. 919-733-5749. See, I, 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 I calm down because I know karma's playing a long game. <laughs> That's what we always have to remember when these outrages happen. They do these things because their eyes are too big for their stomach. They're kind of dumb. They're kind of selfish. They just see what's for their next meal. They can't see beyond it. They can't see how many people they've enraged. There are people who might have blown off the 2024 election in North Carolina. They won't now because of this tonight. And that leads me to one of my favorite quotes from uh, the great John Kenneth Galbraith in 1967, when he said the modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy. That is the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness. 
And that's the GOP. And we talk about it a lot. It's, it's a cult of selfishness. It guides the policy and it guides its members. They'll always turn on each other. Believe me, we're so close now to Rudy finally turning on Trump. And I've been saying this for years. You don't get to pop the popcorn until Rudy and Trump turn on each other. It's coming. And all these defections to Ron DeSantis, believe me, karma plays a long game and often a slow game. But it helps you understand Kevin McCarthy. We learned a couple of things today. After this afternoon's hour-long debt ceiling meeting at the White House, uh, Joe Biden has agreed to shorten his overseas trip. It's going to begin tomorrow morning, and he's going to come back to the U.S. on Sunday after the G7 summit in Japan, which it's very good he's going to. And it put him in a very bad position. I mean, McCarthy was saying, can you believe this president going to the G7 summit? We have our own financial problems here. And then if he hadn't gone, it would have been, can you believe that he's too old and feeble to go to the G7 summit when the all the world economically blah, blah, blah. You, you know how it is with these guys. You can't win. But Biden also appointed three White House officials to lead bilateral negotiations with McCarthy's team, rather than just keep having these fruitless talks with the staff from Schumer's office and McConnell's office. There's still nothing resembling a legislative package that could pass a vote in Congress in the next two weeks. And that's where it's getting scary. And here on the left, uh, progressives and liberals and, uh, you know, anti-evil people are getting kind of a little nervous that... uh, Joe Biden might make some spending concessions that affect anti-poverty programs because that's how the GOP always wants to do it. You got to protect the wealthy and hurt the poor. That's their entire game plan. They are revoltingly false Christians and all their again, it's a cult of selfishness and they can keep their jobs by shitting on the poor and being kind to their donors. The donors will reward them with more donations and the fake Christians will reward them for being horrible to poor people. That's the racket. Both John Fetterman and Elizabeth Warren were issuing war, uh, warnings about adding work requirements for food stamps today because McCarthy called that a red line in their list of demands. Fetterman had a great moment where he was talking to a head of SBC Bank and said, uh, I mean, SB, Silicon Valley Bank and said, you know, should we attach a should we attach any kind of work obligations to your bailout? It was a brilliant moment. But because the senator is recovering from a stroke, his speech wasn't great, and all right-wingers were sharing the clip discussing how bad his speech was. So, you know, people are begging for the Biden White House to find a deal, and it's starting to get scary. And the White House strategists apparently believe that all of this we've been going through just makes Kevin McCarthy look much worse. And I understand that's a moral point of view in a way, but at least now they're going to appear like they're negotiating more heavily. But again, why should they have to? This was not a problem. They did this 18 times for Reagan. They did it seven times for Bush. They did it three times for Trump. But now, oh, now, no. After all the credit card debt we ran up under Trump, no, no, no. Now the poor have to pay. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre answering questions at the White House press corps about a shifting Biden stance on these debt limit negotiations. What you're discussing right now is negotiating with congressional Republicans that they want done in order to raise the to raise the debt limit by this deadline uh, at the first of the next month. So how are you not negotiating about the debt limit if you're negotiating about some debt? No, we've been on them re- no, re- I, debt I, I hear you. We are right now having a conversation, negotiating on the budget. That's what the president has been very clear about. We want to go back to regular order and talk about appropriations. That's what we have, and we've been very clear that the debt limit needs to be taken care of. Congress needs to do their constitutional duty. And it, 
if you think about it, Republicans, MAGA Republicans have laid out how they see the vision for the American people when it speaks to the budget, right? And so we've been very clear about that, that 22% cut that they want to do to health care. Just talked about the 21 million uh, Americans, right? They, the cut that they want to do to veterans. All of those things are conversations that his team and uh, the, the teams of the four, uh, four congressional leaders, they've been having for the past couple of days on the budget, on how we move forward with the budget. Here's what you need to know about Kevin McCarthy, okay? Are you ready for this? Because Politico has an article out tonight that knocked me off my socks. And it's it's something that is so simultaneously enraging and yet brilliant. Um, under Nancy Pelosi, if you wanted to kick out the Speaker of the House, you could only have that offered on the House floor if a majority of either party agreed. Remember those days? Majority of Democrats or majority. And this is how it was under Paul Ryan. Majority of either party had to agree to have a vote on the House floor. That's 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 how you make sure you don't do it flippantly. Kevin McCarthy, again, uh, dumb, desperate and mean. Remember that dumb, desperate and mean. That's what you need to know about Kevin McCarthy in every situation, because those three things feed each other. Dumb, desperate and mean. Kevin McCarthy <laughs> surrendered to the MAGA wing and agreed to an insane policy that no Democrat would agree to that now allows just one single House member to call a no-confidence vote. One, not a majority of either party, one of these morons or one of the smart people in all of the House of Representatives, 430-whatever, can call for a vote to oust the Speaker. It's really easy to do now. We've talked for so long about how he's hostage to his fascist wing. And that's very important because we've talked quite a bit about how Kevin McCarthy can't do anything unless Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, Donald Trump, etc., unless they allow him. So keep that in mind. Here's more from Corrine Jean-Pierre. Reporters wanted to know how the White House feels about the progressives who are getting really mad about possible concessions that would hurt the neediest of Americans. What is the White House's response to concerns already expressed from progressive Democrats that that President Biden is giving too many concessions and ceiling talks with Republicans? Zeke noted the consideration of expanded work requirements for some federal aid, uh, the future spending on on, uh, future spending caps on discretionary funds that has uh, been discussed, as well as permit reform. All this we're hearing is coming out of these these debt ceiling talks. So I'm going to be very careful. I'm not going to go from the podium. As you know, there's going to be a meeting very, very shortly uh, that the president's going to have with the four leaders. And also the president's team has been, and uh, the congressional members, their team have been meeting for the past several days. And it's been, as we see it, very productive. The pres- This is a president has been around the block a few times, right? When you think about negotiations, he knows how to make deals. He knows how this works. Uh, and uh, he, there's no one more experienced in knowing how to get this done. Okay, so now you're following. In the last moment, I talked about how McCarthy was dumb. Now let's talk about desperate, because he's really desperate. If you want proof in a completely unrelated story in the news today that's totally related to what we're talking about, the headline is McCarthy moves to block vote on kicking George Santos out of Congress. There's a second expulsion resolution against the most prolific liar we know of in the House. And Kevin McCarthy is trying to make sure that this goes to nowheresville. He hopes, he says, this new effort to oust George Santos goes the same place the first one went, a House committee. See, nearly 50 House Democrats 
introduced a privileged resolution to kick George Santos out of Congress, which would be a smart thing for Republicans to do if they could afford to lose the seat. Now, this guarantees, however, because it's a privileged resolution, it has to get at least a procedural vote in the next couple of days. This has the Democratic leadership backing it, and it would force Republicans into having to take a stance on George Santos. Do you protect this totally toxic vote you need? Or do you break with GOP leadership and say, yo, this is fucked up. Get rid of him. I apologize for being colloquial. This guy's again, George Santos just got indicted by the DOJ last week. 13 counts, wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds. He stole, he stole from a disabled vet's dying dog. It's not going to end well. You know this. (laughs) Unemployment benefits fraud. He should have been kicked out of Congress in February. Robert Garcia, the Democrat from California, he he he's the one who's been pushing this, this new expulsion resolution. He referred it to the Ethics Committee. And that's what I mean. He, he wants to have a vote on it. The deal is McCarthy doesn't want to vote on this. McCarthy doesn't want to make Republicans come down on where they feel morally about George Santos. McCarthy is desperate and he needs George Santos's vote. So McCarthy is going to try to make this disappear in committee. And that's what he's doing. McCarthy came out and said, I would like the Ethics Committee to move rapidly on this. I think there's enough investigation out there that they could start looking at this and they could come back to Congress probably faster than a court case. It sounds like he means it, right? Sounds like McCarthy's saying, well, let's not vote on this. Let's move it to the committee and they'll, they'll go after it. See, the problem is uh, the Ethics Committee already has an expulsion resolution against George Santos. Also from Representative Garcia. It's been sitting there since February because the committee is where McCarthy sends stuff to die. That's the deal. The guy was indicted, but Kevin McCarthy can't run the risk of A, losing his precious vote, or B, embarrassing the House Republicans by showing how many want him gone and how many want that crook to stay. So here's Kevin coming out uh, after the bipartisan meeting on the debt limit, talking as cocky as he can. I think we um, set the stage to carry on further conversations. You know, we only have 15 days that really means we to did go. Nothing. Um, we've got to find a way that we can curve our spending, raise our debt limit, and uh, also grow our economy. And uh, the president agreed to um, appoint a couple people from his administration to sit down and negotiate directly with uh, my team. So I found that to be productive personally. But we've got a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. Now, I wish we had been able to be in this place 100 days ago. This is what we requested, but we are where we are. So we will work hard to make sure to try to have this to come to fruition. Now, remember, he's dumb, desperate and mean, right? We've been through the dumb. We've been through the desperate. However, he's terrified because what's he going to do if he compromises with Joe Biden? The right wing Republicans could be furious if he compromises in any way. This is the problem Republican moderates have. The Nazi wing of your party will rise up. And Kevin McCarthy, because he is dumb, C.1, he gave them this tool to throw him out of the speakership whenever they want. And it turns out, and here's the story of the day, according to Politico, some Democrats have a plan to save him. Now, it took a long time to bring you up to this point. But here is uh, the story. A small group of moderate Democratic lawmakers in the House, they've quietly been telling the moderate House Republicans, I guess those exist still, that, hey, guess what? We can help keep Kevin McCarthy as speaker. If the right wing nut jobs go crazy over a debt agreement and they try to throw McCarthy out as speaker, we won't let him. 
If conservatives try to force a full House vote on ousting him, the Democrats say they have enough members to block the vote and keep Kevin McCarthy in power. It's kind of beautiful, isn't it? What would happen if the Matt Gaetzes tried to get rid of McCarthy for compromising and the Democrats were the ones who saved him? Behind the scenes, a lot of Democrats apparently are speculating about how to defuse the conservative backlash to any deal. They know that if they do reach a deal, Kevin McCarthy is a hostage to his right wing. What can the guy do? One of the House Democrats involved in the talks requesting anonymity said to Politico, we'll protect him if he does the right thing. And added, McCarthy himself has been briefed on the discussions. Yeah, uh, let's get to the mean part. Because, again, he's dumb, desperate and mean. Kevin McCarthy, (laughs) he's not going to talk about any potential deals with Democrats. He's going to play so hard to the right wing on this. And here he's doing it. Here's the mean part, because one of the things McCarthy wants out of Biden in all of this is work requirements for poor and disabled people on welfare. When you're talking about work requirements, remember what we're talking about. Able body people with no dependents. Okay, and they... It's 20 hours, you go to school everywhere else. But think about Wisconsin just a couple months ago. Wisconsin had a very big election where the Democrats won and took over their Supreme Court. They had work requirements on the ballot, 82%. And what work requirements actually do, help people get a job. Every, Every data point shows that and it helps people move forward. So the public wants it. Both parties want it. The idea that they want to put us into a default because they will not work with on that is ludicrous to me. And you're talking about SNAP, what program are you talking about specifically? Look, we're talking about all the programs mm-hmm. because it helps people get into a job. And what what does it mean when somebody gets in a job? They get better better pay, they're able to buy their houses, but it also helps our supply chain going forward. <laughs> so I, this is something that President Biden as senator voted for. This is something that President Bill Clinton signed. Right. Bill Clinton signed it. And that's his legacy. Did you did you hear the reporter ask you talking about SNAP? He's talking about food stamps. He's talking about young single mothers who are poor and raising children and saying that we will take away the government issued food stamps from your children's mouths. If you don't go get a job, I don't know if you've heard. These are the same people who oppose paid family leave. These are the same people who oppose child care. These people, if there's no profit in it, they're not interested. These are the pro-life people who are going to force poor women to have babies and then penalize them if they don't leave their jobs to go feed their babies. And by the way, SNAP food stamps is one of the most difficult government programs to defraud. So... That brings us back to this plot, right? Kevin's playing it really hard. We're going to beat up the poor people. We're going to beat up the poor people. And Joe Biden doesn't seem too worried. He's cutting his trip a little short. But think about it. I mean, what if they deployed this? What if the Democrats really did make a deal? What if the political article is correct? And that Republicans in McCarthy's camp have to deal with the fact that if they try and remove this guy, the Democrats bail him out. McCarthy spokesperson uh, Mark Bednar said the speaker has never heard of this garbage has zero interest in it, and thinks Democrats would be better off focusing on doing the jobs they were elected to do. Now, Democrats offered, they floated this to John Boehner 10 years ago during the same fiscal fight. Uh, Boehner decided to resign rather than take Democratic help. But this is insurance for Kevin McCarthy. And again, this is how desperate he is. We have to get a deal in this country. This This debt crisis could damage the entire global economy. And two different people have said it to Politico on background that this deal 
is already being discussed. Now, what if it's just a Democratic ploy? Maybe the Democrats just leaked this to try to put the screws to McCarthy to come forward and make a deal. That would be crazy. It'd be hilarious. I just love the thought of every single right-wing website passing this Politico article around tonight. And maybe it's going to back McCarthy into an even deeper corner. But McCarthy's going to have to decide. Is he going to be the Speaker of the House of the United States of America, or is he going to try to stay popular one more day with people who hate him? This is the problem solvers, apparently. This is like the back channel talks between conservatives and Democrats and Republicans. 32 Democrats and members have privately discussed this for months. Um, Of course, Republicans are rejecting the idea. 218 votes. I mean, the Democrats discussed with Hakeem Jeffries this week, 218 votes. That's what they need. They're not going to be able to take the gavel away from McCarthy. If he cuts a deal, Congressman Lou Correa from California said, I would vote to do what's best for this country, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, Swing State Representative Susan Wild said, that's a question that should be on a philosophy exam. The answer is, I don't know, depends on the circumstances. Democrats said they weren't ruling out saving Kevin McCarthy to protect a deal on the debt ceiling. So here we are. McCarthy has no choice. Either he goes along with Joe Biden and then has the moderate Democrats help keep him in office, or he can force Joe Biden to use the damn 14th Amendment, and then his own party will kick him to the curb. And we'll all be stuck with Speaker Steve Scalise. I think you know which way it's going to go. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Now, we're recording this live on Tuesday. So far in the week, just just two days in, we've already seen special counsel John Durham's report on the FBI Trump-Russia investigation turning out to be absolutely nothing. We've seen James Comer's big blockbuster hearing about the Biden family crime history turn out to be a great big nothing. We've seen a man brutally attacking two staffers with a baseball bat at a Democratic congressman's office. We've seen a woman suing Rudy Giuliani, saying that he coerced her into sex while they worked together. And we're watching the media make a villain out of the man who was murdered on a New York City subway, Jordan Neely, and right wing media turning the man who killed him not in self-defense, who went up behind him, put him in a chokehold and crushed his windpipe. Daniel Penny is being sold as a good Samaritan by a right-wing media culture that is allergic to knowing what's actually in the Bible. I need someone smarter than me and more moral than me to make sense of all this mishigas. And folks, you know, when I'm not here, very often you get lucky and you get Joe Sudbay to fill in. And and then, then you've got a real show because Joe knows what he's talking about. 
I'm a cl- I don't even know how I got here. I'm drunk most of the time. I was <laughs> I was reading that Giuliani article and I was like, that's me. Oh, I saw myself there too. Oh, that's me too. Oh, I'm a monster. Joe Sudbay's the real deal. The man's worked in politics and advocacy for over 30 years. He has worked on so many progressive issues at the grassroots level, from immigration reform to labor to manufacturing to LGBT equality. Joe had his own company, Joe Sudbay Strategies, for the past eight years, working with progressive advocacy organizations. Joe's also going to be hosting here next week, and he host state of the states here on progress mr sudbay welcome back oh it's so great to be back with you john how are you i'm dynamite thank you it's i'm really really grateful to talk to you i have many questions about many things i'm already overwhelmed and it's only tuesday i know it's been quite a week and i have to tell you i'm still overwhelmed from one of the biggest things that's happened to me in a long time it happened to me saturday night i met keith price in person we hung out what? Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. Was this like was it like a a, a rehab or a recovery unit or something in, in, in that context? <laughs> it was at Mike Signorelli. Uh, you know, he had a little gathering for to celebrate yes. twenty years, and Keith showed up. I one of the. I mean, I wanted to go honor Mike, of course, but one of the real reasons I went was because I was going to meet Keith in person, <laughs> and it was glorious. I mean, yes, the, the guy is. We, well, you know, he's amazing. And watching him in action, and Liz Winstead was there. And oh, John, sitting, watching those two talk to each other was a mm-hmm. master class in comedy. It was, it was, it was amazing. I feel uh, very, very lucky. Thank you. Well, so, I'm, yeah, I'm really... So, well, listen, after all that brilliance, I'm glad to be here and, and bring some balance to your comedy palette over the week, Joe, uh, because, yeah, they, I, I, I love them both. And I'm sorry I couldn't be there at the party for Michelangelo. Um, but I was too busy recovering from last week. And now, uh, can we start with the debt, Joe? Uh, we began the show talking about this blockbuster article in Politico saying that moderate Democrats have already secured a deal with McCarthy that if somehow he were to make a deal and raise the debt limit and his right wing fascist coterie were to trigger a recount vote for speaker because they can do that with just one vote now that democrats have told him they would protect his speakership that essentially raising the debt limit you get to keep your own job i know it's just a rumor but the very fact that someone leaked it shows that we are maybe in the avengers endgame of all this well you know john i think there's a simple solution to this i think the president should invoke the 14th amendment it's not i mean you know, just do it. The, the The validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. You don't get much more clear than that. And I think, you know, I know Marco Rubio was on Fox tonight saying, if this happens, it's all Biden's fault. There are a lot of Republicans who just as soon see us going to default. And Trump said it last week because he's not president and they think it'll help them win. Joe Biden, sometimes I feel like, you know, I was listening to some of your callers earlier and people are getting frustrated with him. Understand that he's an institutionalist. And, you know, um, but last week, I think it was Lawrence Tribe, who used to be at Harvard, a preeminent constitutional scholar, said, yes, you can invoke the 14th Amendment, which really seemed to move Biden. And look, if you want to be an institutionalist, there's no more institution near that matters than the Constitution. And it lays out very clearly that the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned. That's and right. I just think Biden should do it and stop playing games with these Republicans. And the idea that there are some Democrats who want to save McCarthy. Look, if that 
I thought it was interesting, that article in Politico, because, you know, if those Democrats thought they were helping McCarthy, I think they make it worse for him because now he thinks now it looks like his caucus think he's going into debt negotiations and selling them out. That's right. The one it could pressure McCarthy, being the puppet that he is, to go even more arch conservative in the negotiations moving forward to convince the Matt Gates trolls of his party that he's being loyal to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know the thing I was struck by, and I I was hosting for Dean for quite a while, um, and um, I kept coming back to this New York Times article where McCarthy just kept telling members of his caucus, "Just vote for it. It doesn't just vote for their GOP budget bill. It doesn't matter what's in it." And then a lot of them woke up the next day and realized, holy shit, they had voted to cut veterans benefits. They had voted to cut funding for jobs in their districts. They had voted for a lot of things that were going to show up in TV ads. And now, like, once again, they're just going to follow Kevin McCarthy. Okay, let's see what happens. But I just feel like, you know, the more we watch these Republicans, the more it's clear they do not care about anything but their power. Yes. And, you know, I really hope the Biden White House understands that and realize, you know, sometimes when you're in these drastic situations, you have to do things like invoke your power from the Constitution. <laughs> but to that point, Joe, and you make it beautifully, Joe Biden, of course, could invoke the 14th Amendment to settle this. Joe Biden could still mint the trillion dollar yes. coin to settle this. So is it fair to say, then, that if somehow things aren't resolved and we do somehow go into default, will the GOP be right? It's Biden's fault if it happens. If it gets to that point and Joe Biden had these two different tools in his bat belt to rescue us, uh, then he owns it, right? Well, you know, unfortunately, (laughs) I I feel like that is going to be how a lot of us feel. Like you let these hostage takers threaten the fiscal sanity of the United States of America and you didn't use all the tools in your toolbox, especially the United States Constitution, (laughs) which spells (laughs) out clearly your power. And the thing is, John, who's going to challenge it? What are they going to do? Go to court and say the president violated the plain language of the Constitution? Let them try it. I mean, I've been following pretty closely um, X-State, which is a daily publication from the American Prospect. Ryan Goodman, uh, David Dayan, and Robert Kuttner are writing it, and it's just excellent. <laughs> you know, it's really happening here, and I think most people understand it. Is Republicans aren't debating; they're saying you can't increase the debt limit for the money mm-hmm. we've already spent that they spent, unless yeah. you agree to our plans for a future budget. And somehow Biden has fallen into negotiations with them. That. No, don't be negotiating right now. You don't need to. You need to tell them we're not having any more meetings at the White House. Like, I don't I think the Biden Biden should invoke the 14th and go on his full trip to Asia and let the courts work it out um, and see if the Supreme (laughs) Court wants to um, do it. But, you know, the most obvious solution here is for him to invoke the 14th Amendment. And I think we need to see, uh, um, John, I just think we need to see more Democrats on Capitol Hill telling him that, too. Will we start seeing that in the next week? I mean, it seems like the Biden administration has been very happy to sit back and let McCarthy and the Republicans in the House be the bad guy here. And I certainly approve of that. The deadline is looming. Janet Yellen has told us many times we've got about two weeks left. You know, I I guess Biden cutting his 
Asian trip short by one day is a little bit of theater to show that he's leaning in more on sure. it. But yeah. you're right. I mean, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have much of a hand to play here. If he refuses, Joe Biden's got to just do it. And Joe, can I just say, if Joe Biden did that, if he just went ahead and did it, or if, as I suggest, he just mints the coin and holds it up at the end of every speech and says, don't make me use this, bitches. Like, if he just <laughs> did it, he'd, he'd win re-election by double digits. That's the leadership and the power and the strength Americans want to see. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, John. Show, use your power. Use the power of the presidency. Use the power of the United States Constitution. How much do we how much do we hear Republicans railing about the Constitution and how they believe in the Constitution? They're fighting for the Constitution and the originalists and their interpretations of the Constitution. Well, you don't get much more, uh, you know, original, you know, contextual text. (laughs) <laughs> the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned. I mean, Boom. you know, let it go to the courts. Now, there is a lawsuit underway in Boston brought by the National Association of Government Employees. We could see some movement on that. We also have um, the uh, in the House, there's the uh, discharge petition, which they're trying to collect 218 um, signatures. There are 213 Democrats. Right. They're trying to get five Republicans, which I think is a great way to put Republicans. You know, if you say you don't want the debt to default, here's your way to fix it. Um, yeah. I think you have to use every tool in the toolbox, but the president has the ultimate tool. And I agree with you 100 percent. Be that leader, Joe Biden. Be that leader we all want right now. OK, I got to I got to talk about something more unpleasant than the debt ceiling. And that would be um, the ongoing discussion over Senator Dianne Feinstein. Now, Jim Newell has a piece in Slate today called A Brief Concerning Conversation with Dianne Feinstein, uh, where he details a brief conversation with her and where she did not remember being absent from the Capitol. Now, at this point, when we talk about this, Joe, as you know, we have to be very mindful of the sexism, of the ageism, and of the ableism all of which are at play here and all of which are in the air at all times when we talk about this. Um, My take has been, if Feinstein didn't return to the Senate, it's very feasible that the Republicans would have blocked any replacement for her seat. Gavin Newsom could have had her resign and appointed someone new and the GOP still would not seat that person. Schumer could put up a new person to replace her on the committee. And the GOP just wouldn't let it happen. I've come to believe, Joe, over the past couple of months of Feinstein's illness that the only way these judges are going to get approved for Joe Biden is if she and she alone returns to work and votes yay on a bunch of judges. After what we've learned today, it seems that her cognitive skills are much, much worse than everyone had hoped and everyone thought. And obviously, we have to start having a very ugly discussion of if someone can't remember being gone from the Capitol... What is the line of disability here and what is acceptable? Um, As far as I'm concerned, she can keep on voting until she can't. But where do you think we stand right now with this very touchy, very fascinating situation? Oh, man. Reading that piece in Slate today was just cringe. It was so cringy. And, you know, I know it's too late to say this, but we never should have gotten to this point. We never, ever should have gotten to this point. And... You know, I go back to 2018 when she decided to run for election and the California Democratic Party opposed her nomination. And it was kind of more the institutionalists like Speaker Pelosi, who said, no, she's our champion. She has to run again. This her situation has been deteriorating for a while. And, you know, I do think there's a if if, you know, 
having her say she wants to get off the committee, the Republicans um, played a you know, they played hardball on that, but they just replaced a senator when Sassy retired and they put Ricketts in and they had to change, you know, they had to allow that to happen and get him on yeah. the committees. I think if she would have resigned, it would be kind of a different story because, look, their caucus isn't really a bunch of spring chickens over on the other side. They know that there are a lot of them who, you know, God forbid something happens to them. I mean, there's a lot of old people in the Republican caucus and they know that, you know, someday they may need Democrats mm. to allow them to get someone back on the committee. So you're I implying that they, a, but you're implying they might have some grace. This is the same Republican Party that wouldn't think, give no, Merrick Garland. I, Merrick Garland couldn't think, get an up or down vote from these folks. The same, these same Republicans. I don't think they'd have any grace. I think they do it only because they know it could happen to them, and it did when Sassy. Re- resigned you know right um right. i don't i don't give them any credit john trust me <laughs> i think mitch mcconnell is one of the most evil human beings but um the, the, so but we're in this situation and she's there and she's voting and you know there are no rules in the senate for your cognitive abilities if she can That's go right. in and say yay she's voting um That's you know it. i i think it's a horrible situation and it kind of feels abusive to me at this point um you know and See, I that's, look, what, that's, that's the point i struggle with joe because yeah. i don't know like a part of me i want to say the same thing it seems icky but then i have to recognize maybe this is an 89 year old woman who knows her job and who has the agency to say i am choosing to go do the job i was elected to yeah. Yeah. in spite of my disabilities and that includes yeah. her mental disabilities i mean yeah I'm really struggling with it because I, I'm not really inclined to say this is elder abuse just yet. I, I, I want to give her the respect of assuming that she has full agency here. I hope and I hope she and I'm not a fan. This. I'm not a fan of hers. Not a fan. Never no. was. No, I know. And, yeah. and this story today, though, really just was so disturbing to read. And and it just felt exploitative. And um, anyways, you know, we are where we are. One of the problems I, you know, John, I, I live in D.C. I've been here a long time and I try to avoid going to Capitol Hill as much as I can because <laughs> it's such a weird place. And one of the problems is and I feel this. You know, and I look, I'll go back when Ted Kennedy was very sick and he left D.C. in like April or May of 2009. And we all know he was going back to Hyannisport to die. And my view was you should resign. You should resign. You're not coming back. And we needed your 60th vote. And I I was writing on a blog that time and I wrote that and I got a little pushback and I was like, this seat does not belong to Ted Kennedy. It belongs to the people of Massachusetts. That's right. And. There's no, you know, Queen Elizabeth could die in office because she was royalty. Senators aren't. And there's too much of that when you go to Capitol Hill. They really think that, you know, somehow that they, you know, this seat doesn't belong to Dianne Feinstein. It belongs to the people of California. They elected her to go and vote. That's yeah. it. The people of California elected this woman in her late 80s yeah. to go back to, uh, to to serve. So it's like, I have to just say, this is their choice, too. And we have to respect yeah. their choice. You yeah. know, I, we, we all talk about 100-year-old racist Strom Thurmond being wheeled down the hallway. But yeah. that was who the people of, of his state kept sending back to the job. So it's like... Yeah. We have to watch it. It's unpleasant, but this is the this is the battle, and this is how it's going. And you know, it's 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 not boring, Joe. I'll tell you that. Watching the ongoing well, negotiations with Feinstein is not boring. The one there was a quote from Senator Blumenthal that was in in that um, Jim Newell piece in Slate, 
um, he talked to Senator Blumenthal and Blumenthal said, there's one job that no one else can do for us, which is to vote. And she's been, been doing that job in the last few days. And so far as I can, so far as I can tell, she's been doing well. All right. That, and we're getting judges approved right now. And it's, it's, you know, it's not an ideal situation, but she's there voting. I don't care what she says to Jim Newell. I just hear need to her, her yay. Yay That's in it. committee and yay on the floor. That's it. That's I completely agree. Let me ask you about the elections tonight. There's a lot of state uh, ballots being cast tonight. Uh, We already began the show talking about North Carolina overriding Governor Cooper's veto of their abortion ban. uh, Thanks to, of course, a suddenly well-known Democrat who just became a Republican. One Trisha month Cotham. ago, Trisha what Cotham, a despicable, now, a despicable human who ran for office as a supporter of abortion rights, has talked the talk for many years, sponsored a bill to codify Roe four months ago, four months ago. And one month ago, she became Republican. Tonight, she voted to override the governor's veto. Tonight, she voted to take abortion rights away from the women of her state and the women who sent her to serve in the legislature. Yeah. And what we know now, John which we've known for a while, and Liz Winstead will remind us that we've known for a while. We know abortion bans kill women. They hurt women. They put women through pain they don't need to go through. It's unnecessary. She's just done that to her state. And now how this woman can go can sleep tonight, I have no idea. I just can't imagine the depravity that one has to the, how depraved an individual she must be. I mean, and she's Joe, also what screwed the, up. What are the odds that she's sleeping in a much bigger, nicer house in a few months from now? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, right, I'm sure she's sleeping right. very well because you don't overthrow an entire life of ideology unless you're getting paid. And we know you one thing: Kirsten Cinema's getting paid. Yes. Did you Did you read the article about in Daily Beast yesterday about Kirsten Cinema and her marathons and? Yeah. Oh my God! Not and she's John, actually I getting to, the she's she's getting the taxpayers to pay for her to travel and run in marathons around around yeah, the state. And yeah. and having and then she does a little fundraiser at the marathon, you know, raises a few a few bucks, well, ten, yep. thousands of bucks because she goes only to big donors, and that way she can uh, have her campaign pay for it. Look, I've done marathons. It's not the kind of thing you say, "Hey, I'm going to do a marathon this week," and you have to plan for like months, and you have to get in. Yeah. You have to and do she the likes training. to run marathons. God bless her. It's, oh. Listen, there's yeah. a lot about Kirsten Cinema that's that's frustratingly likable. But you're right. She, this is her little racket. She's using the government office to ship herself around the country to engage in her preferred form of recreation. And look, yeah. more power to her. I guess she's she's so cynical. She just plans some rinky-dink little fundraiser in each town so she can get the taxpayers to pay for the hotel, to pay for the travel. But that's the grift. I don't know how it's Trisha here is. How is, how, how is she not part of a very similar grift? How do you... How do you decide that women deserve to go to jail for abortion one day after fighting for women's reproductive freedoms? It's, it, and she did the same thing to the LGBTQ community. Yeah. On her website, when she changed, when she flipped, it said, right now, LGBTQ plus youth are under attack by Republican state legislators around across the country. I will stand strong against discriminatory legislation and work to pass more protections at the state level. Then she voted for legislation, anti-trans legislation. Yep, it is a, it's oh, just appalling. But, you know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Anderson Clayton, who's the new chair of the Democratic Party in North Carolina. She's young. She's 
fierce. She knows exactly the challenge ahead. And I I don't think I'm overstating this. I think she's going to kind of do for North Carolina what Ben Wickler helped do in Wisconsin with the yeah. state party, bringing all kinds of new energy into it, new people, young people, uh, rural progressives. She's really committed to it. Um, I think I actually had her on your show once when I was guest hosting uh, back when she was the chair of her county. She's just, I just find her her enthusiasm infectious. She was recently profiled in the New York Times and it's just great to see. That's the kind of energy we need. Well, let me let me bring your attention over to the great state of Nebraska, which tonight, as you know, has passed. They, look, Nebraska, tonight in Nebraska, it's more or less the government is letting everyone know who's in charge of what you do with your body. And that is yeah. the state. And the state has decided uh, that they are going to ban gender-affirming care for trans youth. The state has decided a ban on abortion after 10 weeks and before many women know they're pregnant. I mean, not even two and a half months. Many women don't even know yet. But the state has decided for trans youth and for women, and they did both of this tonight, Joe, in one single bill. Yeah. I will not tell a surprise. You, no, not a surprise. Now, N- Nebraska's a unicameral body, so it's only senators. And they finagled, they broke the rules, they cheated. They were being called out on it. Now, two of the, I mean, one of the things that's happened from this past year, watching state legislatures, and you know, I watch them pretty closely, is there have just been some terrific heroes who have emerged. We know the Tennessee Three, Zoe Zephyr out in Montana. That's right. And then in Tennessee, um, Nebraska, Senator Megan Hunt and Senator Michaela Cavanaugh. They did a filibuster. They blocked for as long as they could. And they and literally the Republicans had used all the power and all the tools and all the cheating they could to get past these women. And I just think it's a reminder one more time. The state legislative races matter so much look what happened in north carolina if we had picked up one or more one more seat in the house and the senate we could have blocked it yeah in nebraska these these races they matter so much because it was one vote one vote did it in nebraska as well but um just despicable just absolutely despicable and what message does it send this is what i understand yeah We've, what message i mean yeah, it's, they're not they're, telling young it people costs nothing like like letting letting trans youth uh, decide how to live with their families and their doctors costs the taxpayers nothing letting women have control of their reproductive lives costs the taxpayers nothing what they've done is actually going to cost the taxpayers money now yeah 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 it is and it's going to Look, and same thing in North Carolina. How does the University of North Carolina, which has one of the be- biggest medical facil- me- medical schools, medical training schools in the country, how do they train OBGYNs? You, if, you're, if you're a med student, if you're thinking of going to med school, you cross that one off your list. You, yeah. And if you're like we already know doctors are doctors and um, healthcare providers are leaving these states with strict abortion bans and. You know, Republicans don't care because they care about their base. They care only about their base. They care about their rating from the right wing anti-abortion groups and the NRA yeah. and groups like that and the Moms for Liberty. But oh, can we talk about one thing? Some good stuff, please. though, to happen yeah, tonight. They're, they're good. No, good stuff did happen tonight. Let's start in Florida. Let's start in Florida. Let's start with the fact that the candidate or the mayor of Jacksonville, the Republican candidate who was endorsed by Mums for Liberty, that right-wing extremist group, that anti-LGBT group, and Ron DeSantis, 
a guy mm-hmm. named Daniel Davis. He was the favorite to win in Jacksonville, which has had Republican mayors for a long time. It is the city, the biggest city in America with a Republican mayor, or I should say it was, because tonight Donna Deegan won by 4%. It's a huge win, a big upset. And, you know, John, I saw a lot of conversation. I actually saw uh, the guy who's the editor of the Jackson Tribune, a guy named Andrew Pantazzi, say, Will there be breathless national reporting about what this means that a Republican mayoral candidate ran on a tough on crime, Muns for Liberty platform and lost in a Republican stronghold and endorsed by uh, DeSantis? If this was the flip side, you know, Axios and Politico and Morning Joe would be in a frenzy that a Democrat lost in a you know to a republican in a blue state right but but that that's the thing right like we haven't seen a democratic man i love jacksonville my parents lived near there i have flown into jacksonville literally hundreds of times they haven't had a democratic mayor in a very long time this is because of high turnout and nothing else isn't it yeah it is it is and you know look people in florida have seen up close what this legislature has done these past few months. The legislature was in for two months. They passed a six-week abortion ban. They passed a vicious anti-immigrant bill. They passed numerous anti-LGBTQ bills. The governor of the state got into a fight with the biggest employer in in in, in the state that oh, yeah. you know fuels a lot of the economy for the state. Now we're starting to see from the immigration bill that construction sites are emptying out and yep. a lot of Farm workers are going to leave. I mean, the, oh, the, the, the state economy, that state economy is going to be very interesting in about three to four weeks, isn't it, Joe? Well, and you know what else happens in a couple of weeks? Hurricane season starts. You want to kick out your construction workforce and the, the, the dirty little secret everyone in Florida Republicans know, including Ron DeSantis, is that the workforce in the ag industry and in the building industry are undocumented. They are. There was just yeah. a, actually a real estate publication oh, yeah. um, that, um, that published yesterday that it looks like the construction industry is in for trouble in Florida. Well, good luck with that, everyone. Everyone on the West Coast who voted for Ron DeSantis, uh, you better really hope that there's no more Ians because you're in trouble if there are. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, to say nothing of what's going to happen with the supply line issues. Right. If you're not having the agricultural workers show up, what does that mean on the shelves in Florida and in other states? And as you pointed out, to say nothing about all the construction that gets slowed down, we're seeing the footage on the news of construction sites that are empty right now. What Ron DeSantis did, I will give him credit, most of these Republicans never do anything that would crack down on the employers of undocumented immigrants. He's really cracking down on them, and he's about to see the effect that will have on his entire state economy. Yeah, and you know you know who was a very famous employer of undocumented workers? Uh, I can Donald think of Trump. one who's I can think of someone who's uh, who's employed them in two different centuries. Yeah. Yeah, Donald Trump. I actually met some of the women that worked for Donald Trump. Sandra and Victorina, lovely women, and they were just fearless. They were like, "No, we're not putting up with this shit anymore." And um, when I did have dinner with Sandra one night, she asked me if I knew what chisme was. And I don't know a lot of Spanish, but I know chisme. So we had a little bit of chisme about what it's like to work in the uh, Trump family hmm. rooms. And it's... <laughs> Tell me. They're a crew, John. They're a crew. What do you mean? Oh. Like, like they're a mob crew? No, no they're like... They're a very, like there are very complicated uh, interpersonal relationships within the family that if you're a cleaning person and you're in the house cleaning, you're trying to navigate around. I see. And, I see. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, evil, rich people who hate themselves and each other. 
Yes. Yes, there, there exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Perfect. <laughs> well, let me let me let me ask you about one more race tonight that actually was a big loss for Republicans. Um, the M- independent candidate, uh, Yemi Mabalade, am I saying his name right? Um, yeah. He's aligned with the Democrats, but he's he's independent. He defeated Republican Wayne Williams in the Colorado Springs mayoral runoff election. Another city that's had Republican mayors forever. This is the home of some of the worst. Like, I think it's focus of the, on the family and that crowd are in Colorado Springs, hardcore right wingers. And he won convincingly. He won by about 15 points. He's also an immigrant. And I was hoping he'd win, but my goodness. And Colorado Springs, I think it's the seventh, was the seventh biggest city represented by a Republican mayor no longer. So there has uh, not been a, there has there's not been a non-Republican mayor in Colorado Springs since 1997. Donald <laughs> Trump won this county by 16 points in 2016. He won this county by 11 points two years ago. What amazing. And, I, you know, these special elections are harbingers of where the people where people are and what they're but thinking. It, but, but how much of it's Roe v. Wade, Joe? I'm sorry. I'm seeing these oh. Democrats win all of these special elections. And, you know, off off year elections, 23. I mean, these these are this is because there's abnormally high turnout. Normally, it's only old Republican people show up for these. This is a it, lot of people pissed about Roe, isn't it? It's absolutely right. And, and John, I've said this many times, but every single state legislative candidate I talked to in 2022 and state ledge candidates, not doors. They're not like United States senators or members of Congress who do a little bit of hair, shaking hand, shaking here and there at events. They actually knock on doors. And to a person, they said when they knocked on the door, the voters they were talking to wanted to talk about abortion and they were so upset. Wow. And it was and like I didn't talk to people who were running in safe ultra blue districts. These are people running in very competitive races. And they all said it was a big issue. Um, Along these lines, uh, Heather Boyd won in Pennsylvania today, tonight, too, which means that Democrats will keep control of the statehouse, which is another important win, too. But a lot of this has to do, as you said, with Roe v. Wade and people really come into terms with what Republicans want to do. And at the same time, they're seeing when Republicans get this power and they get this power through gerrymandering. That's what North Carolina is. Gerrymandering is going to be worse. And they get this power and they use it to uh, impose their will and control people's bodies, women's bodies. And uh, I just don't think I, it, you'd think by they would have learned a lesson, but they don't. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing because they think they've got this power that they have created for themselves. And in many You're states, so right. they do. They've got these super majorities. Yeah, it just feels like they keep running for the Republican nomination for everything. They just keep running yeah. so far to the right to appeal to the people they already appeal to. And I don't see a lot of thought beyond that for general elections. I'm starting to get terrified, Joe, that Republicans have just decided they don't need the majority to win national elections anymore. And so they're just going to do it like this. But I, I, I got to take what we've seen with abortion and extrapolate that to their war on asylum seekers and refugees like the GOP's two biggest fundraising gimmicks my whole life sir were abortion and oh my god the illegals coming over the border never mind the yeah. fact that most undocumented are people who overstay their welcome they just do the racism and the fear and there's an invasion blah 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 well those two things 
obviously they could stop if they wanted to, but they don't. They're big fundraisers and big vote getters for the Republicans. They lost Roe v. Wade. <laughs> They're so stupid. They There's people who won't donate anymore to the GOP because Roe v. Wade's finally gone. They lost it. And now it seems like they're on the verge, maybe, of blowing it with immigration as well. I just can't see a humanitarian crisis at the border being spun into that much of a win for these hateful people. Right. And they all predicted, John, last week, chaos, surge, everything was going to happen at the end of Title 42, which they wouldn't do anything to help Biden with an orderly end to, to Title 42. Lots of things Congress can do, but they don't. Instead, last Thursday... Republicans passed a vicious anti-immigrant bill, just ugly, the same kind of thing that DeSantis did, offers no solutions because they want the issue. And that's not who the American people are. I I mean, I like to think that their base is certainly that way. But a lot of us aren't too far from being immigrants and have many immigrants in our lives. And Mm -hmm. maybe they don't. And maybe they've, uh, you know, or, or the ones in their lives have they've become part of the MAGA machine. But I I just don't think it has the oomph that it has, because, look, in 2017, this is what Ed Gillespie ran in on in Virginia. He lost in 2018. Remember, it was caravan, 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 caravan. They lost the House. 2020, same thing with Trump and the Republicans. And then in 2022, I mean, I I work with a a group called America's Voice. We track Republican ads. I saw how ugly they were. Stephen. Miller had a super PAC that was running anti-trans ads and the worst ones you've seen and some of the worst anti-immigrant ads. He spent probably about $100 million. Yep. And again, if all well, you do is hang out with people who watch Fox News, this all seems yep. normal and you don't realize yep. you're in a bubble most of America is repelled by. Joe, you are the best. Thank you for joining us. What's the best oh, way for our evil army of the night to follow you, sir, and keep up with your work? I'm on Twitter still at Joe Sudbay. I'm actually on Blue Sky now, which I'm trying to figure out if I like or not. Nice. At Joe Sudbay. I'm Joe Sudbay everywhere. <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> and thank God for that. Thank you, Joe. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls all for the next hour. If you've been on hold, now's where I start thanking you. And if you haven't been on hold, get there. 866-997-4748. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Elizabeth is calling from Washington, D.C. Elizabeth, thank you for your patience. Welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be welcomed. Thank you so much. Yes. I just got out of court today. How'd it go? Uh, Well, um, the D.C. Superior Court was lovely. I met a lot of First Amendment rock star attorneys in working with David Goldstone. Uh, And the U.S. government has charged me uh, with three charges, one of which we had to argue away was unlawful entry onto private property. Now, What was this in... Elizabeth, I'm sorry, what was this in relation to? This is in relation to interrupting Ted Cruz from the Senate gallery. You you went to the gallery to protest Senator Ted Cruz? You know, I went to the Senate gallery to watch the vote on the Equal Rights Amendment and wound up not disrupting so much as interrupting the (laughs) senator voting against. Uh, You know, I'm not about disrupting the system. I'm about interrupting the system or maybe entering it. I understand. I understand. (laughs) 
<laughs> spirited uh, participation. So, you know, in, okay, so thank you. So, so you yelled I some saw, stuff at Ted Cruz. Well, uh, you know, uh, yelling it's such an aggressive term. I spoke <laughs> very clearly in a bold voice that was only tra- that was trained before Broadway was mic. I love it. Okay. So they okay. heard every word, uh, but the stenographers were instructed to scratch my entry from the Senate record. Oh. Uh, terrible, terrible. Such a public place. I guess, I guess ExxonMobil has just bought the Capitol building since they tried to charge me with unlawful entry into private property. But so what's, so what's your status now? What's the status of your case, Elizabeth? Well, I, um, I, it's up in the air. The government has been invited to give me another plea deal. I rejected their plea deal because I'm not guilty of any of the charges. Okay. And um, I'm preparing to perhaps go pro se uh, with the instruction okay. of David Goldstone. Okay. Um, and I had seen briefly in following your Twitter that you were discussing women's rights this evening. Well, and usually. I thought, I thought, what a brilliant time to discuss this case. So it you're going to you're going to you're going you're going to defend yourself in court. Is that what you're saying? Well, I may do that. It's up in the air. I did I did what's called the Ferretta query today in court, okay. Okay. which is to establish that I am firmly within my sanity in. Uh, wanting to represent myself and showing the court that there is a basic ability to do so, okay. um, which we did. Well, that's good. Um, yes. I, uh, but you're sure you want to do it. You're sure you want to defend yourself in this particular case. Uh, yes, I do. Um, for many okay. reasons. Uh, one of which is a deep respect for our system um, and being a part of it. Uh, it's also um a great way for many of the nonviolent activists and uh, civil rights activists to mm-hmm. enter the public record and have why they did what they did recorded. Okay. Like a lot of people believe that the discussion regarding a deadline for the Equal Rights Amendment is valid, but if you speak with other lawyers, they will point out that this deadline is in the preamble of the bill and not actually in the bill itself. Uh, I don't know if you've ever discussed this, but... I have not, but I'm afraid we're hitting a hard break. Our guest is waiting in the wings. But please, please keep in touch and let us know how this case plays out. I'm dying to know how it goes for you. Thank you. My next court date is June 7th. All right, keep in touch. Thank you so much. Quick break. We'll be right back with more of your calls. And Dr. Tracy Pearson. And we'll figure out what's going on in the air tonight on SiriusXM. Welcome back. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Here's the stat from Politico that just came through. 27 million working-age Americans between 25 and 54, okay? 27 million Americans between the age of 25 and 54 have substance abuse disorders, and that is a 23% jump from the pre-pandemic days 
It's making some people drop out of the labor force entirely, and they're blaming it on hybrid work. It can accelerate a downward spiral, shortening the decline from 10 years to a matter of months because isolation takes away a key barrier to substance use, spending time around people who aren't drunk or high. Substance abuse is often triggered by real-time work stress. And obviously, working from home, well, uh, they're now thinking people are just drinking more. Office occupancy rates have been climbing since the peak of pandemic-era lockdowns, and now they're hovering still around just 50%. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Let me bring in someone who brightens up my my, my week on a regular basis. Dr. Tracy Pearson is a legal analyst and consultant. You know her from TV and radio and the podcast and Fast Company and Forbes and the New York Post and Cheddar News. And, of course, News Nation. Every Tuesday, she classes up the joint. Dr. Tracy, welcome back. Well, thank you, John. It's wonderful to be here. It is a party tonight, huh? Um, I don't know what is in the air, what is in the water, but we have gone from open mic night to open mic on tainted meth in a Fellini film night with some of these callers. (laughs) And it's been a great pleasure. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. Uh, you know what? They're still having a better day than Kevin McCarthy. I, 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 we're we're waiting to find out at what point the U.S. piggy bank will officially be empty. We've been talking about it all night, Dr. Pearson. Now, Mitch McConnell says there will be no default. Joe Biden, of course, has the ability to mint a trillion dollar coin or use the 14th Amendment. He doesn't seem too nervous. Obviously, it all comes down to Kevin McCarthy, whose job depends on satisfying people who want to burn down the place he works. Where do you think we're at with this rubbish right now? I, I well, I'm going to start with Janet Yellen. I, I think that we should know when we're out of money. I think that there should be a way of doing, I think it's called math, to figure mm. out when we are out of money so that we can't pay all of our debts. The rule is, is that if you can't pay all of your debts, you can't pay any of your debts. Right. Um, and so, and that's the situation that she's dealing with. And so I think that it would be, I would hope, I mean, I'm not an economist, but you know, I read a lot of stuff. And yeah. and I would think <laughs> that it would be possible for, for, for her to figure this out and stop playing around with the date. Um, you know, it's starting to feel a little like Peter, Peter and the wolf, um, but I know that it's coming. Um, I'm concerned about it because I'm watching the stock market. That's a real concern for all of us. If you've got a retirement account, of course, um, I'm concerned about uh, how this is going to work since it's never happened. Um, I'm concerned. But isn't, about how isn't, this isn't that why it's going to be OK? Isn't the stock market the reason why ultimately at the end of the day, the people who own this country are not going to tolerate these trifling little fascists? playing chicken with the world economy. I mean, is, isn't the donor class going to ultimately be the factor that makes Kevin McCarthy and his winged monkeys behave themselves? I can't say that for, for certain. And and the reason why is because it seems like Mitch McConnell is, is a, while he is an evil person, I totally agree with Joe Sudby on that one. Um, <laughs> he, he knows that this can't happen and, but he's, he's a member of the old guard and, yeah. and McCarthy has gone lost his mind and uh, he's he's being controlled as a puppet by by this faction of, of crazy people, um, these MAGA Republicans. And what what we're dealing with is, here is that McConnell is signaling he, he, he wouldn't have said it if, if, it, if it wasn't true that, that this is not going to happen. How he's going to make that so, I don't know, since he's actually in the minority. Right. in his chamber and he, and McCarthy's in the majority in his chamber um and 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 again congress is sort of the 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 lead on this um 
I, I, a quote comes to mind. I sent it to you earlier today, which is that winning is easy. Governing is harder. That's and, right. you know, a la Hamilton. And I, I think that that I would hope that McCarthy goes home every night going, I wish I'd never done this. But I don't think so. Um, I, I'm so troubled by everything that that man does. And I, I hold him accountable for all of it. I hold him accountable Good. for this yes. crap Republican budget that is crap. Um, I hold him accountable for the stupid things that he says, the incorrect things that he says. <laughs> I hold him accountable for all of it. And 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 he's really screwed if he does and screwed if he doesn't. He and, is. you know, I, I, I'm worried about the military members who aren't going to get paid. I'm worried about the people who are relying on Social Security. I'm worried about, you know, Medicare payments going out. Remember, anything that costs money doesn't get paid. Anything. It's exactly right. What I've been saying for a long time, though, when I opened the show tonight... There's these rumors, and there's a big story in Politico today, that moderate Democrats have already worked out a deal with Speaker McCarthy's office where if he goes ahead and just cooperates at the end of the day when he does what we all know he has to do and votes to raise the debt ceiling like they did 18 times for Reagan, seven times for Bush, three times for Trump, that Democrats have said they will protect his job. Democrats have said that if Matt Gates or one of the winged monkey caucus decides to use the very dumb rule Kevin McCarthy allowed to exist when he became speaker and let one member of Congress trigger a vote on a new House speaker that Democrats have said, we will have your back and enough Democratic votes will be there to protect you. But you got to raise the debt ceiling first. To me, this sounds like something we've gotten used to. Democrats doing dirty backroom deals to help the American people. Republicans doing dirty backroom deals to save their jobs. Yeah, and that's politics. I think that what... I hope the Democrats, if true, if the Democrats are doing is that they're doing to McCarthy what the MAGA Republicans did to McCarthy and they're extracting more than just that. Man, I I would be getting everything out of him I could. Every bill I want to the floor, uh, everything that I could that mattered to me, I would I would extract from him because he's the one who's going to be left holding you know the bag on this he, that's right. he's the one who stops this from happening or allows it to happen technically um i, I think that joe biden can of course uh invoke the 14th i think he probably at the end of the day will if it comes to it but i do love your idea of that of that coin and tossing oh, yeah. it up in the air almost like you know pavlovian like just triggering the hell <laughs> like out the of gangster them. and singing in the rain just toss the <laughs> toss the idea yeah, exactly the coin over and, and over again in, He's the guy to do it. And, and, you and know, he ends every speech me. by saying, don't make me use it, man. Don't make me use it. <laughs> do the right thing. Um, I, I absolutely think that's a fabulous idea. And, and part of the reason why I think it's a fabulous, fabulous idea is because, it, first of all, it, it would definitely work. But it, it reminds me of when I, I was practicing law and I did it with a deposition once. And I just got anything I wanted out of a witness. I had basically, within a matter of minutes, trained this witness that every time I went for that deposition and picked it up, they were screwed. And so I think that he can accomplish the same thing if the same psycho- psychology is in play. Hmm. Uh, let me ask you, Dr. Tracy, what, what is the Phillips curve and how does it reflect inflation and unemployment? Okay, so preface this by I'm not an economist, but basically the way that that, that it works is that the, the I preface curve, everything by saying that everything I do. I, that's I, I I preface it by saying a lot of things. I mean, I, you yes. know, um, no, but I'm but, not an economist. I say that before every show. I say that as part of foreplay. Go on, please. <laughs> um. So, um. Well, okay then. So, uh, the Phillips curve is uh when it is a is a theory, and it's 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 an inverse theory. So what happens is that when there's high um, employment, 
there's um, there's also high inflation. And mm. when there is uh, low employment or low unemployment, rather low unemployment, there's high inflation. When there's um, when there's low employment, there is uh, low low inflation or high inflation so yeah so let me reverse that okay right so low employment high inflation yes high inflation uh or rather low inflation uh high um, high employment and so basically what we've been what living through when, what, we've, exactly, what we've been living through yes when everybody's working when everybody is working we get high inflation and the reason for that is because things cost more they got to make the they got to pay the bills they got to pay uh, uh the taxes on employment uh for the employees they've got to um things cost more um yeah. and and you know they have to pay more payroll they have bigger expenditures uh when uh when when inflation is low they're trying to to attract employees so that they can make more money they can yes. uh produce more and that's basically the concept behind it. So um, what we're dealing with and what we're seeing is that Phillips curve playing out. We're noticing that there are these massive layoffs. That's right. We were doing great. And then there were massive layoffs. Now, mm -hmm. even still, we're looking at unemployment having not really changed all that much because people are able to get, get other jobs, it seems. I mean, we're looking at unemployment at this point being about 3.4%. Um, Ironically, and this is why I find this ironically, is that most of the people who are on unemployment or who are, are unemployed are men at 3.3% right. and women at 3.1%. So um, I don't know who McCarthy thinks he's targeting with his, his little budget. Um, and he actually does use the word target welfare in, That's right. in, in, in that, that web page that talks about it. And you can Google you it. You know exactly who he's targeting. He's targeting the right wing members of his party who hate him. I, well, of course. I mean, but but to use that word, I mean, you know, there were days. Do you remember there were days when they would use fancy, fuzzy language around things? I and literally think he could, I just, think he could say persecute the poor and he'd get more votes from evangelicals. Exactly. Or run them out of town, you know, with the Pied Piper. I mean, whatever. It just, you know, we'll run them into blue states. I mean, it is absolutely, um, you know, just astonishing to me just how brazen everything is these days. I know. Um, I know. Speaking of brazen, can I bring up America's sweetheart, uh, former mayor of New York, Rudolph Julie Andrews? I don't uh, know if you had the chance to see a film called Borat 2. It turns out it's a documentary. Um, <laughs> as you know, by now, Dr. Tracy, a former employee of the former mayor of New York, um, former former attorney general of New York, has launched a 10 million dollar lawsuit against him uh, alleging intense levels of sexual abuse alleging non-stop alcoholism alleging um incredible dishonesty and corruption alleging that they were plotting to steal the election of course even bigger that 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 he was selling pardons for two million dollars which he and trump would split uh it's arguably a huge story we've seen many huge stories come out against rudy giuliani but what do you make of what we've learned um from uh from noelle dumphy okay first of all when this thing came out i immediately started reading it and i started tweeting um screenshots of, of various paragraphs i mean you, you could name anything during the trump administration years i mean you name ukraine anything yeah. it's in there and the first thing i did was i read all 30 you know all 70 pages of it then i later that night i read it out loud to my husband um because he also uh, has legal training and 
Um, what I was amazed by about about this pleading is uh, you Please. were referencing that that movie is that there were screenshots and I would change my voice as I would read it when I would get to the line that and the, and this this conversation was recorded because this woman has the receipts. If if she what really is does. pled in that pleading, she has the receipts on everything, and that is frightening. Even things that he said while he was allegedly raping her. Yeah, and, I mean, and it, on audio. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, no. I mean, this this is the end. Like we've we've known Rudy's over for a very long time. This is what the New York State Attorney General's office had to get. Like like, I don't see how he can't be disbarred after this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, he's he's he, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That no, that's that's a given. I think that no, no, it's that, a believe me, Tracy. It's not a given here in New York it, State. I'm I've been convinced they will let him keep it. Bill Clinton got thrown out of the bar in in, in Arkansas. I'm con- I've been convinced until yesterday that Giuliani will get to keep his law license. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I I don't think so. Um, when you're when you're when you're having sex with your client, that's over. That's over. That's that's mm-hmm. that's like the the reddest line that you could get. <laughs> And and he stepped over it, assuming this is true, uh, and yeah, it seems as if as if it is highly credible. Um, there are apparently but, many many tapes featuring uh, an always drunk Giuliani, intense sex and sexual abuse, and of course, surprise! Don't be too shocked by this. Turns out he says a lot of anti-Semitic and racist shit. Doctor Tracy, who uh, could have guessed? There's a list. I it's 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 and it's there's a list. There's actually a paragraph. Guys, go read this. There's a paragraph in there where there's a list of things that he said, and and it's sort of just like a, a sort of like a coda to to a musical. I mean, they throw it in at the end, like here. In addition to everything that we just told you, he's also said these things. Um, <laughs> you, when you think about Giuliani, or at least when I think about him from you know throughout my lifetime. I frankly think he's a sleaze. I, he always looked like a sleaze to me. He always behaved like a little bit of a sleazy guy. Oh, yeah. So I'm not surprised by what I'm reading. I'm also not surprised by what uh, this person is allegedly alleging against against Giuliani, um, because women can be in these situations. Anybody can, but but a woman or or somebody who's being abused can be in these situations and stay. And That's and. Right. And because the, the first question people are going to ask and the first thing that, that the people on, on the, the Republican or MAGA Republican side are going to go after or folks who are less knowledgeable about these things is going to say, well, why didn't she leave? Why didn't she quit? And this happens all the time. And the first thing is that you can't believe it's happening. Yeah. The second thing is that you feel trapped, that you can't make a decision because you are been traumatized now she had been allegedly previously traumatized she was actually in the middle of a lawsuit regarding a uh, domestic violence situation so we're talking Mm -hmm. somebody about somebody who's extremely vulnerable already assuming everything is true and i always keep saying that as somebody who's practiced law and so i'm going to stop doing that everybody just assume that i'm saying that but because it gets monotonous but the the fact is is that that women any anyone can men as well but more often women can get into these situations and feel they they feel that they can't leave that well first of all they're surprised that it's happening or they don't believe themselves they've they've convinced themselves this isn't happening you compartmentalize your life in these situations so work is work home is home you know each hour is each hour and you're trying to justify what's happening and and maybe even believe that it'll stop and then what happens is then there's the money 
there's the the she is tied to him through this money that he promised Correct. her and she clearly needs this money she's also afraid of him based on this pleading uh of what he'll do to her because he knows the fbi and he knows uh all sorts of people he has private investigators that will find out anything yep. about anybody and during the course of reading this pleading towards the end you'll read that that he knew the names of the fbi agents that had gone to visit her and her family at her Florida family home. Um, right. who, and they had come to, to interview her or wanted to interview her because they found out that she was working for him. And it wasn't that hard to find out because he was telling a lot of people he's going to all these events. I mean, uh, you know, no. hey, don't talk about it. But, gee, I'm going to introduce you to everybody. Hmm. Now, for those who, who, who missed this story yesterday or didn't get the full details, let me just let me just flesh it out a bit. No pun intended or achieved. <laughs> um, Ms. Dumpy says that uh, America's mayor promised to pay her a million dollars annual salary, but he then claimed the pay would be deferred and her employment kept secret until he finalized his divorce from his crazy ex-wife who was watching his cash flow and ultimately he refused to pay her. Now, he would make her work naked or wearing a bikini or in short shorts with an American flag. During remote work calls, he would make her remove her clothes he would often call her allegedly while he was in bed and proceed to pleasure himself. He made it clear in her words of the of the uh, lawsuit, satisfying his sexual demands, which came virtually any time, anywhere, was an absolute requirement of her employment and of legal representation. Giuliani also took Viagra constantly. While working with Ms. Dumphy, Giuliani would look to Ms. Dumphy, point to his erect penis and tell her he could not do any work until you take care of this. At one point, he promised Ms. Dumpy he would give her $300,000 if she would forego her legal rights in connection with her pending case and fuck me like crazy. This statement was recorded. I think the only question is how long until he flips on Donald Trump and is the non-sexual stuff even worse? Because as awful as that is, we now know that in February 2019, he let slip and she has it on tape that they already were planning to declare voter fraud if Donald Trump lost the election the following year. That's in the complaint. And he repeatedly said that they would be selling pardons for two million dollars apiece. The money would be split between him and Trump. Hello, New York bar. And she has 23,000 Rudy Giuliani emails. Yeah, her whole argument is he wouldn't pay me. These are mine now. It seems like she's planned this thing pretty well. Well, yeah, I don't I wouldn't use the word plan. I, I would say that and I don't know this person. The lawsuit itself. Uh, the lawsuit is executed. The law, right. I, I think that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, there was an associate that I trained once who who used to get frustrated with me because I would put pictures and of text messages and stuff like that in pleadings because it would make it longer. And hmm. this lawyer did that. And I was like, yes, good for you, because it shows it, it's not just saying it. It shows the text messages that the paragraphs are talking about. And it, it wow. gives it more credibility. Wow. Um, I haven't so actually seen the photos yet. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. you get you have to look at it. But you're saying when does Giuliani flip on Trump? Uh, Trump, I think, is going to flip on on Giuliani because in this lawsuit, um, he was listening to Giuliani was uh, was was. Um, listening to phone calls and conversations with with um, Trump's kids, uh, they yeah. were he would talk about the kids and and express his views on the kids. Um, he had text messages, or rather not text messages, emails from the kids and oh, yeah. forwarded emails from 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 Trump uh, emails between him and Trump, between him and Lev Parnas, between him and the kids, between him and and you name it. 
he was he was engaging with them and uh 23,000 of these things some of them as attorney client privilege emails um it, that's another no no you don't share attorney client privilege information with people who are, right. are not your client and so uh yeah he's screwed in a lot of different ways and there are a lot of people that are going to be pissed at him and one of the things that I found so incredibly just mind-blowing was that, you know, at least I know, that somebody on her legal team reached out to him and said, let's solve this before we file. And well, he but, basically but, probably said, F off. But, but, that, but isn't that still in play? I mean, my biggest concern in reading all this was, oh, my God, she put the fear of, of Jesus into this man. He's going to know she has recordings. What are the odds he doesn't just cut a check for her and this whole thing goes away? Well, I'm sure that that is something that is possible. Um, I don't think it goes away. I mean, she's she's holding the receipts. I think that that it's sort of Dominion. You know how Dominion had the receipts on Fox? Oh, yeah. Sort of oh, same, yes, we do. Same thing. And we're talking about how much money is it that, that, that this person's going to walk away with? This is a civil case. But once the cat is out of the bag... Everybody knows about it. And that means law enforcement knows about it. That means the Department of Justice knows about it. That means New York City prosecutors know about it. That means everybody who who has the authority to potentially investigate and to use this information knows about it. Jack Smith knows about it. And so information can be used uh, as in in other cases or to bring other cases or to start other cases. And so um, it isn't this is the beginning of the end for Mr. Giuliani, this is not the end if this thing goes away. <laughs> right. I mean, it's been the beginning of the end for Rudy for a very long time, but this is this is point of no return. I mean, he was going to be a joke the rest of his life. Now it's going to yes. be a lot worse than that. Absolutely. But but I'll I mean I'll I mean so much worse. I mean, you and I've talked about how how sort of Trump fatigued we are. But this was something that when I read it, it was a lightning bolt. I mean, it just I read it and I said, my God, I cannot believe what is in this document, because it was it is so, so detailed down to dates, down to the people he was meeting with. It shows photographs of her and him and and people that he shouldn't be meeting with. He's got foreign agent registration problems. He's got. He's but that's has been his whole deal. Rudy, Rudy's whole law career has just been being this douchebag former celebrity who sells access to himself to foreign douchebags who want a picture with America's mayor because they haven't read a newspaper in 20 years. I mean, I was reminded reading this how we owe Joe Biden credit. Joe Biden's the one who I, I would say destroyed Rudy Giuliani's presidential campaign 15 years ago. It was Joe Biden who said noun verb 9-11. And that did more than anything. <laughs> to wreck Giuliani's presidential ambitions. While I have you here, Tracy, this is there's there's always so much I want to tug on your coat about. And and as disgusting as Giuliani is, I, I want to move on a little <laughs> bit uh, because we're we're talking more about, about DE&I, diversity, equity and inclusion. And as you know, uh, in the state of Florida, 26 percent of adults, one in four have a disability. Um, Ron DeSantis is really trying hard to. <laughs> overshoot the mark and outrage anyone who is smart or basically decent by taking on DE&I. This this is the kind of fight that I think helps them win the Republican nomination and grosses out the general population at large. Yeah, and no, I don't know. I, I think Tell me, please. I I because Jacksonville and and you know what what happened tonight in Florida at least um I think that there's there's uh, when it comes to DeSantis, there are two things that outrage me. 
DeSantis and then the legislature. And the legislature is the one that put this thing together. And I read it. I actually spent a morning, not not today, but previously wow. when I heard about it, reading it and and reading every single freaking paragraph of this ter- terribly written bill. And I found things in there that weren't being talked about. For example, things like um, the faculty at public universities in Florida um, seemingly have no right to challenge any what we call an adverse employment action um, that happens to them related to their employment and that it may not be appealed beyond the level of a university president or taken to arbitration, which suggests to me because it's a public university in the state of Florida and this is Florida legislation and it's signed by the Florida governor that Florida courts are off the table as well. And so huh. it's almost as if that that at least they're going to try to prevent faculty because they're going after the faculty at Florida universities who are teaching and, and, and whatnot and, and, you know, clearing the libraries out and redoing the curriculum and preventing them from having certain majors as part of this bill and related bills that are attached to this, that faculty are going to try to file lawsuits. It's and madness. So, of course they will. It is. It is crazy. Uh, it has a, a section in it where it says that uh, a state university may not require a statement, pledge or oath other than to uphold the general and federal law, the United States Constitution and the state constitution as part of any admissions, hiring, employment, promotion, tenure, disciplinary evaluation process. And my response to that is awesome. Plagiarism is, is legal, I guess, in, in school now, because <laughs> typically when you're a student, you sign something saying, you know, I'm going to file follow the student handbook. I'm not going to you know copy other people's crap and use it as my own. Um, right. Same thing goes for, you know, uh, any kind of misconduct. So a lot of misconduct that employers terminate people for is in handbooks. It isn't actually a legal violation. It's a it's a policy violation. And so apparently there are no, there's no need, or you're not going to be required to sign any any pledges that say, I agree to follow this, this handbook, this employee handbook. Right, right. It's insanity. I don't know who writes this crap. Maybe AI writes this crap. No, but, but it just, it just seems like it's another example of, of, okay, anything that might ever acknowledge that there was ever racism committed against non-white people, anything that acknowledges there's ever been any kind of structural prejudice against non-white people is clearly structural prejudice against white people. That's still what's driving all so much of this, it, isn't it? That it that's is the CRT thing talking about racism might make the children of racists feel bad about racism. It's what's driving it, and and but they're not paying attention to what everything is on the road. It's like driving down, you know, the four hundred five and not looking in both lanes, and you're just looking at the one stupid license plate in front of you, and you're going to yes. end up in an accident because yes. um, there are lots of people who have disability down in in Florida. There's a lot, I mean, a lot, one in four adults. And when you think about the population down there. And so basically discrimination against those people is okay. DEI involves more than just race. It involves sex. It involves disability, which is the great equalizer. It has always been my position that disability crosses every single protected class category. And so it's it's the one that is most easily overlooked. Anybody can be disabled. But doesn't Florida still have to comply with federal laws? Yes, they say they do. But then when you when you look at the bill, it says no state or federal money or regardless of whatever source it comes from may be used. And so none of it makes any sense. And I, I read it and I was like, gosh, this seems like just political theater. 
And oh. this is going to get flipped and overturned along the way somewhere. But then Florida is located in that part of the world. And I'm looking at the circuit and I'm trying to figure it out. And, and I'm just it's going to be for a while. But by the time it gets, but, but the expectation is by the time it gets flipped, Ron DeSantis will be president and who will care, right? That's generally the entire thing. All of this is just Ron DeSantis setting the world on fire to tell MAGA, see how good I am with matches. And, yes and, and maybe it'll work. Yes and no. I, I think that the federal um, office for civil rights can, in fact, uh, make findings against universities in Florida and uh, basically prevent any federal student loan money from being given to students at those universities that'll shut everything down because Jesus. if there are are uh, civil rights violations and and they are unwilling to budge then you can lose your federal funding so pell grants go away uh, student loans go away that are available to students at these schools and florida has a lot of schools it's almost like Ron DeSantis doesn't think shit through all the way, doesn't it? A little, <laughs> bit, little bit, just maybe. Um, hey, while I still have you, Dr. Tracy, um, AI, you know, it, it's it's heating up. Obviously, it's now become a factor in the Writers Guild strikes. Senator Blumenthal today was talking about some of the scarier kinds that we have to start taking more seriously. How scared are you? Oh, I'm scared shitless of this stuff. I, I looked into it because I had read about what the Writers Guild um, was was concerned about. And so I went into to both of the two major ones, the chat GDP and uh, the uh, BARD, which is Google's. And I actually right. went in and I asked it to write me a pilot episode for a television episode. And I gave it like a series of facts and it did it for me. And I said, well, write me a second episode. And it did it. And then I said, revise it. And it did. And and I, you know, I, I revise it with this, that and the other thing. I even went in and said, make it Emmy worthy. And it went back and it revised it even further. How long and did so it take? To, how long do these writings and revisions take? Seconds. 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 I'm not kidding. Seconds. Didn't even take longer than a minute for the first draft or for the second or for the third. And what frightens me... Did it need me, coffee? Did it have to go to a coffee house to do it like every other screenwriter? Or did it just do it right away there at your desk? It did it literally right away. And That's it did terrifying. it with no coffee. And terrifying. it didn't demand anything. But no good jokes came along the way as well. I think that uh, the other thing that, that I thought was humorous was that I went in and I asked it to write me a code to replace Twitter. And it did. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know what to do with that code, but I have it. If somebody wants it, they can just go in and do it themselves. And literally it said, write me. I said, write me code that I can use to establish a new Twitter and replace Twitter. And it spun out the code for me. Damn. Yeah. Dr. Tracy. Tried wow. tonight. It's hilarious. Okay. Then now I know what I'm doing all night. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us, Dr. Pearson. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to keep up with you and your many doings? It is always my pleasure to be here. It is my favorite day of the week. You can reach me at Tracy Explains on every social media, probably not Twitter if he kicks me off after tonight. Um, and I also have a Substack, Dr. Tracy Explains. Such a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much. What a show. My God. I want to give my uh, utmost gratitude to the great team we have here at the Love Fest. Thank you, Thea Harper. Thank you, Chris Hauselt. Thanks for even talking to me. My God, they've had to work with me for so long. It's, it's so sad. Thank you to Joe Sudbay and the great Dr. Tracy Pearson for joining us. Thanks to all of our callers. This is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace. Peace.